0: This is Ken Feath, Metro Archivist, and we're with Back in the Day, our podcast. I want to thank you for listening in today. We have a great presentation. I'm excited about this one. I have Mr. Turney Turnbull with us. He's served on the board of directors for several regional, statewide, and local nonprofit and civic organizations. He's past president of the Natchez Trace Parkway Association, trustee of the Lewis and Clark Trust. He's an attorney, practices in Franklin, and he was a graduate of the Vanderbilt and then the University of Tennessee College of Law, and a recipient of the Nathan Birkin Memorial Award in the area of copyright law. And he's written a book, and looking at his um, some of his stuff, he said he's an amateur historian. I don't really think so. I think he's uh, elevated up to quite the level of a historian. It's a, it's a great book about Jackson, and it's studying a period of his life that uh, is not that well known. So... Tony, would you start us off on Andrew Jackson? Sure, Ken. Thanks for the opportunity. This is a chapter
1: in Jackson's life that no one has written more than a couple of paragraphs to mm. maybe five pages about. It's mm. the chapter when he became Old Hickory, mm-hmm. and it's his first military command, this real serious uh, military command as a, as a general. Mm. And Jackson had wanted to be a general from the time he was a young boy. Really? He idolized George Washington, as most uh-huh. of the boys did, yeah. but I really think he wanted to become the next General George Washington— to drive the British off American soil. And of course, you know, during the War of 1812, he succeeded.
0: Yeah, sure did. But he had a
1: lot of challenges until he got to that point, and this is really that chapter when uh, he was put to the test, and the decisions he made made him old hickory.
0: You know, I think that's really fascinating. And so he wanted to be a general, but he had some, not really competition, but opposition, I guess, from General Wilkinson and, and sort of the established military of the day, and so how did he break into that? Did he um... by sheer will?
1: <laughs> there was the idea at the time that unless you were born into a certain family mm-hmm. uh, or had wealth, that you had no opportunity to reach the highest levels of government or even in the military. And Jackson, mm-hmm. of course, was a commoner. Mm-hmm. He was a an orphan, a poor boy who, mm-hmm. who grew up in the Carolinas and then moved to Nashville and did acquire mm-hmm. some wealth. Mm-hmm. But still, in Jackson's day, People who lived up to the west of the Appalachians were considered commoners in general. You know, they had no hope really of Mm -hmm. of ever having any kind of national leadership. Mm -hmm. And so Jackson really opened that door. He broke through some of those barriers for the first time just by sheer will of wanting to become the next general.
0: The next general. Well, your book hardened to hickory. And so was this the period that Jackson really uh, found his personality and his his purpose, I guess
1: I think so, I think because he was put to the test, he tried a lot of things. Uh, you know he, he was a federal prosecutor mm-hmm. uh, or prosecutor in the borough mm-hmm. district here in Nashville. He opened a store at clover bottom oh, didn't didn't mm-hmm. go very well. He did horse racing, he enjoyed mm-hmm. horse racing and mm-hmm. gambling, mm-hmm. did better at that. you know he, he ran a plantation at the hermitage, but it was the military that really was his life, mm-hmm. and he really wanted to become a general, and he never had the opportunity through most of his life to establish. His reputation in battle or any kind of command until the war of eighteen twelve arrived hmm. and that gave him the opportunity
0: so really, he was not a student of the military; He just came into the military and and wanted to go to New Orleans, I guess, and fight the british and he He assumed the role of a general and could rally him into his cause, i guess well, he worked his way up through the state militia okay he'd become okay. a general at age twenty nine Mm-hmm.
1: And he led uh, musters, uh, parades, mm-hmm. uh, but they never really had any—they had a couple of Indian skirmishes, but, but no real battles uh, where they earned a the
0: reputation as a general. So really, he's going on as like a, almost a new general and taking his troops down to, to fight. That's right. He, for the first time, you know, he, he raised um, a
1: little over 2,000 men, and he had the responsibility of taking them out into the winter environment when most people sheltered at home. Uh, down the Mississippi River, down the Natchez Trace. <coughs> and and most of these, I, I call them men, most of them were actually young boys. Uh, drummers could be as young as 12 years old. Gosh, Most of them had never been away from home. Most of them had never been soldiers. And Jackson had the responsibility of teaching them to become soldiers, keeping them alive, mm-hmm. and then meeting the, the greatest military army in the world, the British.
0: You know, that, that's a pretty amazing feat. I mean... Um... He's bringing untrained militia, young men, against a, a very professional British army that was just coming off the Napoleonic Wars, I guess. And so, you know, you're going down there, to, it's quite a feat to go down there, and just, to me, it would be um, kind of anxious about even going, because this British army is quite well, and, and if he's staking, Jackson is staking everything on being a general, then there's a, there's a high stakes here with, with him, he's winning and keeping this army together. That's right, but he never doubted himself. He mm-hmm. never doubted mm-hmm. his role uh, or his place in the in the nation's
1: history. He just he thought that uh, the God was on his side, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and that he was always correct in whatever it was he he thought he should do. Uh,
0: huh. So that also helped him as well, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. What well, in your book, did he have like a defining moment where he there was a crisis that he? I do think so. Mm-hmm. Um, when he
1: got it, and and to back up a little bit, you know, his his main. Challenges it turned out in this first expedition. This was two years prior to the Battle of New Orleans Mm -hmm. Was the general who commanded the US Army General James Wilkinson and and he wanted to destroy Jackson He saw Jackson as a real threat uh, and Jackson he and Jackson had had a running battle for almost a decade (laughs) uh, That began with the building of the Natchez Trace up to Nashville and involved Aaron Burr and, and others And Wilkinson saw this as his opportunity. He had Jackson 500 miles from Nashville uh, he had him trapped in Natchez, and he thought he could destroy him. How about that? And, and he did. He, he created a trap and a fort there just outside of Natchez, a cantonment of Washington. And when he got Jackson in that trap, he started depriving him of food and medicine and the things he would <laughs> need to keep his men alive. And Jackson realized he was in this trap. And, and the real defining moment, I think, it happened on Jackson's birthday, uh, March 15, mm. 1813. Jackson received a letter from Wilkinson, uh, that supposedly contained an order from the Secretary of War telling Jackson that he was dismissed from service uh-huh. and he was to leave these boys, abandon them 500 miles from home without any food, any provisions. Good grief. They were to turn over all their clothing, all their tents, all their equipment to General Wilkinson, and that was it. And Jackson said most of these boys uh, barely had the shirts on their back when they, when they showed up in Nashville. Yeah. They will not survive to get back home. Most of them will die. But his officer said, but if you disobey this order, you'll face a firing squad Good, because that's mutiny. And so that's the choice Andrew Jackson had to make. Did he risk everything he had worked for his whole life, his whole future, you know, to get all of these young boys back home? And I think for the first time in Jackson's life, he risked everything for something other than himself.
0: Hmm.
1: And I think that changed Jackson Hmm. into the man we know as General
0: Jackson and President Jackson. You know that's quite a risk. I mean, you're you're disobeying a direct order from a superior, and uh, that that could go very badly. You know, and um, from what you say, it sounds like the, the, the American Army was actually sort of fighting each other. The, these personalities, you know, and and General Wilkinson was determined to get rid of Jackson. That's fascinating, and. Uh,
1: yeah, and some things don't change. Human nature doesn't change. <laughs> you know, we hear about those conflicts going on today, but they've, they've been going on the whole time. Yeah,
0: no, nothing really changed. It just gets right. different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But Jackson overcame that. Did he—I'm uh, surprised there's not a duel in here somewhere. Well, actually,
1: one of the early biographers, Parton, wrote that when Jackson realized that he had been ordered to go down to serve under General Wilkinson, he packed his dueling pistols, <laughs> anticipating their their meeting. Because really, he planned to treat Wilkinson just like the enemy that he was. And he actually raised a secret um, uh, regiment of cavalry that went down the Natchez Trace. And they planned to approach Wilkinson's camp as an enemy camp from two sides. And Jackson planned to overtake Wilkinson there just outside of Natchez. And then go on down and take New Orleans and take Mobile and Pensacola away from the British and Spanish.
0: That's incredible. So he was anticipating this, so he was... um, He was. Yeah, yeah, he was planning ahead, I guess. Yeah. 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 And uh, in your book, you mentioned that there may have been some, uh, I guess, activity on Wilkinson's side, as far as Agent 13, and being tied in with, I guess, the British or the Spanish.
1: Yeah. Yeah, actually, Teddy Roosevelt called General Wilkinson the most despicable character in our history, (laughs) Uh, which I think he earned that. Um, Early on, he decided that he would not succeed you know, within the power structure of the United States. He would not become wealthy. And he thought that his future lay with our enemy, Spain. Mm. And so in the 1780s, he decided that he would sell his loyalty to Spain. To Spain. And become a subject of his Catholic majesty, the King of Spain. And they put him on their payroll with the code name Agent 13.
0: How about that?
1: And they began to make payments to him. And he sold military intelligence to the Spanish he even sold information about the Lewis and Clark expedition, and with that information, it said that Spain came within sixty miles of capturing or killing Mary with Lewis. And, wow! Uh, and Clark.
0: You know that would have, that would have changed a lot of things. You know, we when we talked earlier; nothing really changes, and it it sounds like espionage has always been there. You know, nothing really changes. Right. And uh, that's really fascinating. Um, so he was so it was the spanish really that he was tied to and not the british or the french yeah although it's it's Mm
1: -hmm. also also rumored that uh, during some of the battles Mm -hmm. in the uh, northwestern territory that wilkinson actually gave the british intelligence where they could defeat Mm -hmm. um, general anthony wayne Uh, anthony wayne was given the position as primary general in the u.s army Mm -hmm. wilkinson was second in command wilkinson was very ambitious and he wanted wayne's position And set out to defeat Wayne at any opportunity, and so it appears that he gave the British information that they used to defeat Wayne's soldiers, uh, so that it would appear that Wayne couldn't command.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing to give away that with, you know, you're going to cost a lot of lives to do this, you know, and your own nation. That's fascinating. Did uh, was Jackson suspicious of this, or was he? Most people
1: were suspicious. Rumors had there had been rumors for years. Washington suspected that Wilkinson was a spy. Hmm. Adams suspected he was a spy. Madison thought he was a spy, but no one can prove it. He was such a good, oh. um, so good at it that no one really could prove it until after his death, when the evidence mm-hmm. surfaced. Mm-hmm.
0: So, how was um, I guess Jackson's role in uh, going to New Orleans that seemed to define him? Was Wilkinson in the way? I mean, did he get get rid of Wilkinson, or how did he?
1: He did actually. Before he left Nashville in 1813, he sat down and wrote a letter to the Secretary of War. And he began a political campaign against Mm. Wilkinson. Mm. And he said that Wilkinson is so despised that there are rumors that men who were serving in the Florida area refused to serve under him. And he said when it was reported to the Tennessee troops that Wilkinson would be in charge, that most men said they would not serve under Wilkinson. Mm. And so he asked that Wilkinson be moved to the northern front, which was where the action was at the time. And the Secretary of War, there's documentation that when he got the letter, he turned it over in the back and said he would consider that. And in fact, mm. he did. And within a few months, uh, Wilkinson received an order that he was to go to the Northern Front. I think that's because How that? Jackson requested that. And he refused for a while, but, and it was clear why, because he wore the, um, the uniform of a general, mm. he acted as a general, but he had never really commanded in battle either. <laughs> and it, it, was all, it was all a facade. And when he got to the Northern Front and he had to face battle, it was clear he could not command. And his his, um, command there was a disaster. And so after the War of 1812, he was one of the first generals to be dismissed.
0: Really? Yes. Really. Well, that, you know, it's amazing that um, Jackson was able to get him moved out. And then especially I think it's interesting that uh, you said uh, troops wouldn't serve under him. So it was— it was important to have a loyalty to your commanding officer as far as militia and things like that, in which you could draw to you. Um, so Jackson had, at that point, then he had a, a pretty sizable force to go down to New Orleans. Yeah, and
1: in fact, it's actually part of this um, this story in Jackson's life is why his men were loyal to him. Mm-hmm. Because when he got this order to abandon the boys, and I, I call them boys because they were yeah, you know, young the, young boys. Yeah. The boys realized that, you know, here's, here's an order from the Secretary of War telling you, if you don't do this, you'll face a firing squad. And Jackson stood up, even to the Secretary of War, potentially to the president, for these boys. Wow! And and they didn't forget that. You know, he stood by them, and he, he earned their loyalty, even though he had not commanded in battle. Mm-hmm. By the time they got back to Nashville from this first Natchez expedition, uh, he was their general. And so just a few months later, when they were called into the field again— to go down into the Creek Nation. And there was a question, well, it, the first expedition seemed to be such a disaster, would these boys show up again? And they mm-hmm. did, because he had earned their loyalty. He uh-huh. was their general.
0: So that's why, okay, so at that point, um, he had a very close-knit, loyal, I mean, they they remember these things, and they understand that he was fighting for the for the boys. Yeah. And then uh, he would protect them as far as he could, you know, under, under being at war. And so they went to New Orleans, and of course... He won in New Orleans, and do you think that was part of when all when all these men were so loyal? Do you think that's part of how he ascended? To, up the yeah, rank? I think there's
1: no question because mm-hmm. by the time then they they defeated the Creeks in, in their nation, they went on down and defeated the British, and they all mm-hmm. became national heroes. He never would have done that without the loyalty of these boys, because mm-hmm. again, he had, he had not earned the rank of general he'd, in a battle mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. prior to that point, right? And, and the way he'd earned their respect was by by standing by them. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's one story I, I found, and I never read this before, that about Jackson crying.
0: No, yeah, but, but it yeah, was said, and yeah, one one of,
1: one of the soldiers said that when Jackson thought that he would not be able to obtain the wagons to get the boys back home, that Jackson shed tears,
0: that and that made
1: be. an impression on these boys.
0: Well, yeah, you know, you never you never hear that about Jackson. You know, you always hear the the Hickory, old Hickory. Yeah, and uh, so that's pretty fascinating right there, and it gives a real insight into Jackson. You know. And this this whole experience really, I guess, set him up for or he had the experience to go into the presidency. And then really he set the pace for our nation for a long time. I mean, it seems like his win kind of pulled the nation together and it, it gave us some uh, credibility in the world that we can we can defend our borders. Yeah. And then um it really just set the nation on a different road, I guess.
1: Yeah, it was kind of up for grabs at that point. You know, mm-hmm. s- Others have said, you know, prior to the War of 1812, we referred to ourselves as these United States. Hmm. And then after the War of 1812, we called it the United States. And it was kind of a turning point in our nation's history. But, but prior to the War of 1812, it wasn't really sure how it was going to turn out. You know, the Constitution was pretty young. Things were not going well. Uh, it looked like to the people here in the West, particularly, that their future might be better, you know, going with Spain or Britain hmm. or doing something totally different. And the war really solidified that, and Jackson stepped to the fore to help direct what became the age of Jackson.
0: Yeah. That's really fascinating. And he's still fairly young at this point, I guess. Yeah, he turned 45 during mm-hmm. this. Uh, okay. during now, he was considered an old man at that time, because <laughs>
1: most men on the frontier did not live to be not that, li- that old. Yeah. And he was in very poor health, so he appeared to be ah. older than he actually was.
0: Okay, okay, okay. Well, um, it's just a fascinating book, and uh, it's available, I guess, out... At Amazon or where? It's available on Amazon,
1: mm-hmm. Barnes & Noble online. A mm-hmm. lot of the local bookstores local have bookstores it as well. Have it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And the Hermitage,
0: of course. Oh, yeah. Oh, and the Hermitage. Well, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I really appreciate your time and coming down and talking about Old Hickory. It's really fascinating, and I appreciate it. Sure. You know, if, if there's anything you'd like to add as far as your book or what you found out about Jackson, I mean, this is a whole different look at Jackson, you know, this period. And it seems like everybody concentrates on either later or earlier, you right. know, and you picked out this point. Was this interesting to you in particular? Did you like... Well, it was interesting because no one had written about it. Mm-hmm.
1: And, mm-hmm. and it was a story... I, I wanted to know a lot of the answers to what happened when Jackson went down the Natchez Trace the first time. You know, being involved with the Natchez Trace, mm-hmm. it was it was kind of a question mark. And when I began to find journals, and these, these I found most of this in private uh, collections, mm-hmm. most of the documents, mm-hmm. and they began to answer the questions. I, it seemed to be appropriate, you know, to to write the
0: story of, oh, yeah. of what happened. Yeah. well, I'm so glad you did. Yeah, thanks. And uh, it, uh, it's a great book. And so I appreciate your time today. Is there anything you'd like to add if we... Well, the only thing, that, the
1: other thing, of course, mm-hmm. there's several facets to this. You know, mm-hmm. part of it's the American Indians in the area, the Chickasaw, Choctaw. Their stories that have really never been told either. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the more interesting stories, and I think about this because of the Hamilton play, you oh, know, yeah, that's so yeah. popular yeah. now, is mm-hmm. Aaron Burr. And I often ask kids, you know, do you know what happened to Aaron Burr after he shot Alexander Hamilton. And then, of course, they don't. And I said, well, do you realize that he came to Nashville, and he pulled Andrew Jackson into a scheme to pull the, the Western states away from the Union. And they're, mm-hmm. they're shocked. But it intrigues them, you know, what happened. And it's a fascinating story that also involves Wilkinson. I know we don't have time to get into it today, but, but you know, Aaron Burr did come to Nashville, and, and he was actually used as Wilkinson's pawn to pull Jackson into this scheme to create this rebellion uh, against the American states, and so you know, Jackson assumed that he had Thomas Jefferson's approval for all of this, and he didn't. And there's there's still today a debate about what Burr was really up to. Yeah. But one of the stories that Jackson first heard, after he had pledged his loyalty, he had agreed to raise troops for Burr. Uh, he was actually building boats at uh, at Clover Bottom, hmm. you know, for this expedition for Burr. Yeah, really. Assuming that, that what they were doing was to to go in to the. Um, uh, either take the Florida Peninsula away from the Spanish with Jefferson's blessing, <laughs> or later on to go down into the Mexican area, uh, area of Mexico, uh, to take that area away from the Spanish. <laughs> but it, there was a young man who was he was having lunch with at the Hermitage one day. He would come down to New York. He was going from New York. He was going to New Orleans, and he was asking about what was really going on. And this young man, Captain John Fort, said, "Well, haven't you heard?" He said, "What what they really plan to do is to create a slave insurrection in New Orleans." use that as a diversion to rob the bank of New Orleans, and then they will steal the ships, and they'll take those ships into Mexico, invade Mexico. Burr will then make himself emperor of Mexico, <laughs> and they'll pull the western states away from the United States.
0: What a plot.
1: Yeah, and Jackson said, "Who's who will command the troops? And Captain Fort said, General Wilkinson. Ah. And then at that point, Jackson realized Wilkinson was behind the whole thing. And then Wilkinson as the plot grew he turned on burr had burr arrested mm-hmm. that the story uh, came out that what he really planned to do then was to take the troops march into washington turn out congress and assassinate thomas jefferson
0: good night
1: and so it jefferson then insisted on having burr arrested for treason and he was captured uh, down off the natchez trace in mississippi taken to richmond for probably one of the first celebrity trials <laughs> of the of our time yeah Everybody wanted to be there. Jackson was called as a witness. Mm-hmm. And it's from that trial that we get our definition of treason. Really? Uh, and yes. a lot of the, uh, the precedents for executive privilege mm-hmm. arose because Burr subpoenaed Thomas Jefferson, the president, to appear to give testimony and to turn over documents. And then Jefferson refused because of executive privilege.
0: How about that? And
1: so a lot of the things that are in the news today uh, you know, are, are being discussed that came out of that trial— for Aaron Burr for treason. So that's one of
0: the fascinating stories. Oh, that's incredible. I mean, you know, uh, I th- I think nowadays we just—the United States is so large and powerful, we just don't realize how fragile things were. And to put a plot like this together and get enough people to go along with it, right. and then, yeah, this is what we're going to do and, and turn on the United States, and then that falls apart, and then we start setting precedents for what the executive branch can do and what— the judicial branch can do I mean it's really fascinating How that evolved From yeah. that one incident Yeah it, it
1: was just a time When everything was very fluid Yeah And it was because Certain people Made certain decisions You know That we do mm-hmm. What we do today
0: That's amazing It's yeah. incredible Yeah, uh, You know This has been a great story We would definitely want to have you back Dr. Turnbull I, would I Really enjoy. appreciate your time today Yeah thanks for the opportunity Yeah you're quite welcome And uh, thank you for listening in uh, this is uh, Back in the day Thank you